My name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I have the joy of being with you today on this beautiful Sunday morning. How many of you guys have been out at the State Fair already? Well, I have a feeling that today is going to be a good day, and here's why. Every year we go out to the State Fair as a family. We haven't missed a day since my 31-year-old son was seven months old. And I left the State Fair early yesterday because I was preaching here. And as I was leaving, my son-in-law, Jake, I'm walking out, and I hear him yell, Hey, Deb, go give him hell. I'd say that, but what I think I should say is, Go give him heaven. So I think it will be a good day today. We are in a series um, that we are calling Irresistible Faith. We are following along with Scott Saul's book. And so far this summer, we've talked about abiding in Christ and belonging to irresistible community. But today we're taking a look. Actually, in the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at what it means to become an irresistible Christian. Last week, Rich talked to us about the idea that irresistible Christians are those who treasure the poor. And today we're going to talk about irresistible Christians being those who embrace their work as mission. Now we all know that, right? We can't separate our work from faith, the sacred from the secular, and that's not new news. We don't walk through those doors without connecting our Sundays to our Mondays, right? And somehow this thing that we've known, I think, is hard to live out in the day-to-day of our lives. We get busy. We forget. We take our eyes off the prize, and we end up missing that connection, the integration of our work and our faith. Well, before we dive into that, I did want to take a look at what we mean by work because so often when we hear the word work our minds jump to this idea of job and I think in our culture when we think about job we think of something we have to do but I think we need to look at it as something we get to do because our work is something that God calls us to and what we're talking about here is bigger it goes beyond ourselves and it has to do with vocation We are all created in the image of God, and by nature and design, we are helplessly vocational beings. We're born to create and to restore and to be in loving relationship with one another, and this work is central to our humanity and to our life in Christ. So vocation, vocationim, that's the Latin word which literally means calling, a being called. And the Latin word vocare, we can put that up on the screen, that's at the root of our English word vocation, to call. All human work, and that's what we spend a lot of our waking hours doing, isn't it, is not merely a job, but it's a calling, our vocation. And this is something that is unique to each and every one of us and important for this conversation is that it's seasonal work, isn't it? We move in and out of seasons because there isn't a person in this room that isn't included in this conversation today. It might mean that we are in a season of being a student, a volunteer, a breadwinner, a home manager, a retiree, a stay-at-home parent. Maybe the work we're called to, the season we're in right now, is that of being a parent or a grandparent or a sister or a brother or a child. You may be in a season 
where you have work that you are doing that you are bored with and frustrated with and that you simply don't like. Maybe you struggle with finding a job or keeping a job, but wherever you are and whatever you do, what we do matters, and it matters because of this, because we belong to Jesus. It matters because of who we are, and that makes a difference on how we do our work, because the way we do our work looks different than that of the world and of culture, and it's because we are followers of Jesus. And that's a simple concept. We know that, don't we? But because of our humanness, it's hard to live out. So maybe what we want to do, what Scott Sauls would suggest we do, is reimagine our work as mission. There's an author, Robert Bella. He wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. And he says this. To make a real difference, there would have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling, a return in a new way to the idea of work as contribution to the good of all, and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. That's countercultural, friends, because we live in a culture that says it's about me, it's about getting ahead, it's about success, it's about money, it's about status, it's about popularity, it's about accolades. But work is only a calling if it can be reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond our own interest. We're in 1 Corinthians 10. And in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and they've strayed off the path of righteousness. And in chapter 10, he talks specifically to this Israeli nation who has struggled with idolatry. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, Paul says this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Three short verses in this passage, and I think the power is and how plainly said it is. Whatever you do, well, Scott Saul says that we spend at least 40 hours a week in our work, over 80,000 hours in our lifetime, so certainly that would fall under the whatever we do. We do it all for the glory of God. These are words that embrace all of our life. It tells us exactly how we should live and how we should do our work and what that motive should be behind it all. Simply put, I think what this tells us is that first, we have a desire to to glorify God. Second, we have a regard for neighbor, that we don't do anything that might put a wall between someone else and the love of God, that we might not do anything that leads people into sin. And lastly, we put others first above our own selves. And when we do that, they can know the love of Jesus. Seem like simple instructions, don't they? We've heard them before. I think we claim them as truth, but what is it that gets in the way for us? 
Because we do know that as image bearers, as Jesus followers, we get to be part of God's creative and redemptive work in the world, and that leaves people and places and things better than when we encountered them. But what stops us? Certainly we can look to our humanness, our sin nature. We get busy, we get distracted, we forget, we get tempted because it is so easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and cave to culture, to money, to status, to success. But I think there's something else that sometimes we forget to consider. And I think that sometimes we are not convinced that what we do matters. And I think it's hard to see. Sometimes we don't always get the connection between what we do in our day-to-day lives and our work and what God is continually doing through us. What's our contribution? Does it make a difference? But I think there's a bigger story going on, one behind the scenes, a story that can provide hope a story that can provide the flourishing of an irresistible faith through our work that may appear mundane or fruitless or pointless. Scott Sauls, in his book, he tells the story about a short story that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. And it's a story about an artist named Niggle. And Niggle was commissioned by City Hall to paint a beautiful mural of a tree on the side of City Hall. And he spends his whole lifetime working at this this mural. And when he dies, the only thing that he has completed is a single leaf. And he's on a train to heaven, and in the distance he sees this object that looks familiar. And he tells the conductor to stop the train, and he gets off, and as he walks closer, he sees that it's his tree. And it's more beautiful than anything he could have ever have hoped or imagined. And right in the middle of that tree is his single leaf. His contribution for all to see. If only he would have known. Well, you know, Tolkien wrote that story as his own way to process his own frustration with his own creating and writing because he was, he was worried that he wouldn't finish his writing. He was worried that no one would ever get to appreciate it. And that was his work, Middle Earth, that later became known as the Lord of the Rings. If only he could have known. If only we could know what one day we will know about how God uses us for his plan to redeem the world. Wouldn't that have an impact on the way we work, on what we do? We are called to this moment. Madeline Ingle, she says this, there's nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred, and this is one of the deepest messages of the Incarnation. So we trust God, and we trust that God continues to work through us even when we don't know it. And we live out our calling as salt and light. Last year, we studied the Sermon on the Mount, and remember the Beatitudes, the beginning of that sermon? Blessed are the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and the meek, and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and the merciful, the pure of heart, the peacemakers, 
those who stand up for what's right? Well, Jesus tells us, he tells us right after that, that our identity is as salt and light in the world and in our work. Matthew 5, 13, 16, here's what Jesus has to say. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus lays out our mission for us. And if we are a follower of Jesus, living out the Beatitudes, we matter. Our work matters. We have an important role to play because we are the salt of the earth. And this salt, it preserves what's good in the world. We retain our saltiness. We retain our distinctiveness. And at the same time, we're the light of the world. This job description for us It's not only about maintaining personal holiness. It's about touching other people's lives with the light of Christ. And while I love those images that Jesus gives us about what it means to be salt and light, I also love about who it is that is salt as light because he's referring back to those beatitudes. Who are the salt of the earth? They're the humble, those who mourn, the meek, those who are thirst after doing what is right, And who are the light, they're the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who risk self for standing up for others. That's what it looks like in the work that we're called to do. And here's what I love the most about that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you want to become salt and light, do this. Or before I call you salt and light, do this. He says it simply and directly. You are the salt of the world, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that, my friends, is a blessing and an affirmation and a commissioning of what we get to do. So what does it look like? I could look around this room. I know a lot of what you guys all do. And you are salt and light. You are irresistible. And I was thinking about a group of students a few years ago, elementary students, who got together at their school and they formed a club that they called the Brandon Fan Club. Brandon was a little boy with special needs. And this group of elementary age kids, they said, we want to make sure Brandon is never eating lunch alone. And that's what they did for all of their elementary age school years. That is salt and light. And then I think of my friend Ken, who's a retiree, and after his wife died, he moved to a retirement home. And what Ken started doing as his work was he started ministering to those who had had lost their life. And now he runs a grief group that just last night he told me is 13 people attending. Salt and light. 
And I think about my friend Annie, who has a passion to do plays, and every couple years she does a play over at Wyzetta Community Church, and what she's ended up doing there in her work is she ministers to just a huge group of kids with special needs, and she loves on them, and she sees them, and she brings Jesus to them. When I thought about this sermon, the first thing that came to mind was my brother Scott. My brother Scott has been an um, educator. He has been an educator his entire life. He started out as a history teacher, and then he moved to assistant principal and principal and assistant superintendent and then superintendent. He's over in Columbus, Ohio. And he is the kind of guy that puts self aside, and he is the salt and the light, and he's irresistible and the way he does life with those students. And about 10 years ago, I said, Scott, tell me about that. And this is what he said. I don't know, Deb, there's not much I do except every day I stand in front of the mirror and while I'm shaving, I pray to God and I I pray, God, if there is one student today, one student that you could impact through me, Please let that happen. Let me see that student. Let me love on that student. That's how we embrace our work as mission. Last but not least, a couple weeks ago, my friend Annie, she sent me this um, text. Her daughter, Kelly, just graduated from college. She's going to be a teacher over in fourth grade teacher in Chaska schools. And her daughter sent her this picture. And my friend said, I thought you'd appreciate this, Deb. And the the caption says, I'm starting to pray already for my students. You want to know what's amazing about this? This Kelly grew up in our church. She was part of our student kids and student programming. And if that isn't a reason to get yourself out to the blue wall and sign up to help in kids and student ministries, I don't know what is. Because that's what happens. When you guys are the salt, you're the light. You help make irresistible Christians. Like Kelly, who's going to love on her fourth graders out in Chaska, Minnesota this year. We get to do that. So what does it take to do it? It takes honesty. Let's take an honest look at our lives and our work. It takes intention. What are our practices that we are doing every day? And that's the commitment. It's the rhythm, it's the hourly and the minute by minute and the moment and the daily rhythm of how we are following Jesus. And last but not least, it's about trust. We work as though we trust that God is doing something that maybe we don't get or see, but we know that God is doing. So we get to participate in God's work through our work. And our relationship with Jesus changes how that looks. And it causes us to be different. So in those moments when we are tempted to stop pressing on and to give up, in the moments when we might be tempted to use the word just in front of the work that we do, remember, whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God and in service to one another. That is how we reimagine work as mission. Let's pray together. Gracious and holy God, we come before you humbly and in awe and in gratitude of how you work. The fact that you love us so much that you invite us 
on this mission that you have to show your love to others. We thank you, God, for what we get to do. And we pray that you might give us the eyes to see you and everyone we meet, to shine that love in every situation that we're in. We lived all this up to you, and we pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.